0: Today's show, our guest is Tim Stokes. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's a rare thing to meet somebody who is actually one of the founders of an industry. Our guest today has been a business coach since the inception of the coaching industry here in Australia in the mid-1990s. He's lived through everything that you could think of in advertising and marketing, and Tim shares with us some incredibly important insights into what stops a business breaking through to the next level and what's holding those individual business owners back. More cash flow doesn't equal more profit in your business, and Tim gives us a great explanation as to why. If you've ever wondered what it takes to level up your business and brand, then you're in for a real treat. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Tim Stokes. Well, good day, Tim. Welcome to the Go All In podcast. I'm so excited to have a fellow Aussie on the show and talk all things business and business coaching. How are you doing, mate?
1: I'm um, fantastic. And it, yeah, it is good to be interviewed by an Aussie too.
0: <laughs> all right. Before we get into this web profits and this internet thing and this money that everybody wants to make and live in the life of their dreams, I want to find out a little bit about you. And I do this with all of my guests, so I have a bit of fun on the front end. We ask a couple of random questions just to get to know you a little bit. Maybe your friends and family listening will learn something about you. I'm going to fire a, a quick, quick-fire questions at you. No particular order. Pretty random. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Do you prefer exercising in the gym or training outside? Training outside. Like outside? Yeah, yeah I prefer outside. I
1: don't like the structured... To me, it's like a treadmill, and to me, the treadmill reminds me a lot of business. And lots
0: of activity, but not a lot of change of scenery. So, I think the outdoors is better. Hamster wheel. Nothing worse than the hamster wheel, right? Or, or the, the treadmill of life. Tell me, mate, what was the what was the first car that you owned? Uh, Morris Minor, <laughs> <laughs> which most people probably don't know what that is. <laughs> Mate, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to have a dig at your age there. But, you know, no joke, my old man had one of those as well. So all good, I know. So did
1: mine. My old man had one as well. That's probably
0: why I ended up when was with a hand It wasn't a hand-me-down. It was just a second-hand one. Popular cars back in the day. Was it? Did you drive it around like you stole it as your first car or did you treat it nicely? It had so little power that I straight away had to modify it. So, <laughs> And then it was actually a nice-looking
1: car in the end, but it yeah, didn't look much when I first got it. So, yeah. The little cars like that go around a corner really fast, right? That's right. That's it. I actually own a Mini now, right? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I used, used to out corner a Mini, which is saying something because I had a friend that had a Mini and it was all
0: done up and mine was done up and he said, yeah, yours handles better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, I was at the gym the other day and I was walking past the car park and there was an, a really old Mini there and those cars were so small and this thing had yeah. been done up, had been restored. It was in beautiful condition. And I looked at it compared to mine. My car is literally twice the size of what that is and my Mini is like little two-door Cooper. Really small, but anyway, great, great little you got car. You got the BMW one, have you? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, 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 right. yeah good car, good car. Tell me, mate, who's your uh, who's your favourite author?
1: For business, I'd say Michael Gerber because his The E Myth Revisited was just such a mind altering experience to read that book. So, <laughs> yeah, that's probably my favourite business. So I'm kind of more into
0: the kind of spiritual side now. It's David Hawkins. He's a bit out there, yep. not for everyone. Yeah, I've got a lot of David Hawkins stuff actually, and, really? and I remember when The E Myth came out. Back, back in the day when that came out and the revisited version of that, you would live that every day with the, the clients that you have, but we'll get into that. And yeah. if, you, if you don't know what the e-myth is and what the e-myth revisited is, just have a peek at your phone as you're listening to this podcast and I'll pop the links in there so you can check it out because it's uh, really cool. And if you're if Tim saying that that's a good book, it must be pretty good and I would have to absolutely echo that. And some David Hawkins stuff, that's pretty deep. Yeah, it's pretty heavy stuff, mate. It's not everyone's cup of tea, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. I listen to a lot of the audio books there that he's got as well. I don't, I don't mind that as well. That's same thing. It's a bit of a deep spiritual side for me as well. Do you prefer an audio book or a hard copy book? Are you, are
1: you uh, I like hard copy because I can't get over the yellow marker and texture and dog ear and all the pages and all that sort of stuff. So my books, I kind of read them and then go back and read the yellow bits highlighted again. So, so yeah, I like, I like the hard copy. Audio is alright. If I do a lot of driving, I like Audible, but. Mm. If I'm not driving, which I'm not so much now, then it's hard copy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you're
0: listening to at the moment as an audiobook?
1: No, not really. No, I'm kind of, I go through phases where sometimes it's like a devour content. And other yeah. times I'm like, nah, eh, I think I'll just cruise
0: for a while. I'm in cruise mode at the moment. Very nice. I'm listening to a really good book at the moment by a guy named Cameron Herald. It's called Free PR. So it's a pretty original title. But mm-hmm. Cameron Herald is the guy from uh, 1800 Got Junk so he's the the pr marketing guru i think he thinks i should know the numbers correctly he joined the company and they had like five mil in revenue and three or four years after he'd left it was like 105 mil no advertising it was all pr and what he does is he, he's mastered the art of pr he got everything from local newspaper all the way to the oprah winfrey show which is kind of cool you know a rubbish removal company on oprah winfrey what the hell it's uh Pretty good. So free PR is what that is. And I'll pop the link there in the show notes as well. Do you have a favorite podcast, mate?
1: No, I don't know. Because I'm not so much into audio, I'm not sort of a
0: podcast uh, enthusiast, you could say. Mm-hmm. Some okay. people are like addicted to podcast. I don't yeah. know anyone that's addicted to the Go All In show, unfortunately, but the True Crime series is, and people really love those shows. So you should give those a go. Something completely yes. different left to center if you like that. It's pretty cool. Mate, uh, we we live in the, the best and the luckiest country in the world. Do you prefer the beach or the bush?
1: Good question. Kind of like a bit of both, actually. I like the beach. Can't you can't beat the beach. Like beach is just spectacular. We're so spoiled here in Australia. We are. What's your favorite holiday destination? I'd probably actually say Queensland Tropical Island, some Tropical Island. Mm. Uh, Whit Sunday. Sundays is good. Whit Sundays is very good.
0: Yeah. Have you ever been on a yacht in the Whit Sundays? Uh, no, I've been
1: close to bare boat charter, but didn't mm-hmm. quite get there. I had a group of friends were all going to do it and then it just didn't happen. So I missed it kind of thing. So mm-hmm. no, but I still think about it every now and again.
0: I think those Island holidays, there are a little bit kind of old school, a bit 1980s, some of the yeah. places in the facilities and the way to do that. My, my ex-wife, her, her dad was a, a mad keen sailor back in the day and they used to get on a boat and go around the Whit Sundays to do that. I never, unfortunately I never got to do that. But I have been up the Whit Sundays quite a bit and been on a boat out there like that, but never for a specific holiday. Always in the military, a little bit different kind of experience. But anyway, if you've never been to the Whit Sundays, you should go and get up on the Great Barrier Reef. Beautiful. All right, last question for the warm-up quiz here. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given that's just top of mind for you whenever someone asks you that question? There's a quote by Jim
1: I like, which is work as hard on yourself as you do your job or your business. I think that's I think
0: that's a really good one. I think that's an excellent one. Very nice. Very nice. I, I, as I was writing that question, I was thinking one for myself as well. If, if you'd indulge me and allow me to share as well, it's, um, it's a JT Fox quote. He says, it doesn't matter who you know, it only matters who knows you. And I yes. really love that one as well. That's a good one for the modern day marketer as we're, in, well. we're in
1: the age of who now, not the what. So yes, Absolutely. it's definitely about a who
0: world. Yeah, it's a good one, good one. Well, Tim, thanks for sharing that A little bit of fun to kick off the show and get to know you a little bit. People come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, Tim, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success?
1: Sure. My biggest Go All In, I had to think about it when I saw your question and I thought, hmm, what's my biggest? And I couldn't think of one initially and I thought, no, I must have done this. Where have I done it? And my biggest one was when I had a successful tree service business in Western Sydney. And a tree service business where you're the climber, which means you're climbing up and down trees, dangling by a rope, using chainsaws, and you're talking trees that are like 120, 40 meter kind of things yeah. over houses. Gosh. Most dangerous industry in Australia. And then that was like my mule business in a way because in about 1990, my accountant said, you need to learn about business. And he gave me Michael Gerber's book, The Ead Myth Revisited. And I went, ah oh, okay, that's interesting. And then I did this two-day workshop and I went, oh, holy cow, there's this subject called business. I don't know anything about this subject called business because I thought it's all about industry, technical knowledge. You know, you've got to know all about your industry as a great employee. Then you go into business, you've got no idea how to run a business. And that was great because then I learned to work on my business and then I worked on my business 20 hours a week and I've never stopped. So you multiply that by about 20-something years, it's something like 20,000 hours. So Mm. a lot of work on my business. And I left the business tree climbing, tree service, and then after learning how to raise prices, sell at higher prices, market, copyright, you name it kind of thing, and then thought I need something else to do, because physically my body was wearing out. I had a dislocated shoulder up a tree once, and that's not a nice experience when your shoulder's being pulled out, you're upside down, you're in pain, (laughs) and thinking, how am I going to get out of here? And I thought, oh, I've got to find a new industry.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was that was the decision point, right? That's the go-all-in moment right there.
1: <laughs> right there, i, I got to find something else to do. And um, I'd been learning a lot about sales and marketing at the time. I was on a database of a company called Action International, who people may know of Action Coach now. And they sent out a mail out through their database saying, we want to create a new industry called business coaching. We help business owners with sales and marketing and business growth. We're looking for 10 guinea pigs or test pilots from Australia and New Zealand that like to think that they might be part of that kickoff franchise opportunity. And I thought, oh, now there's something for me because I'd already kind of walked the talk. I'd already increased profits, freed up time. I went from working 80 hours a week down to 30 and made twice as much money because I learned what work smarter was. And I thought, oh, that sounds like a great thing to do. So I put my hand up. I got picked. I was one of ten people around Australia and New Zealand. Did ten days training, thinking I was going to be trained a lot more. Got trained almost nothing. No systems. No no nothing. I learned what the word pilot meant with a the franchise then. Oh gosh. And then I went, gee well, I'm so glad that I've learned a lot of sales and marketing on my own and paid a lot of money from the best people I could find in the world. Mm learn it and i just started using what i thought i knew i got introduced to a personality profiling system which is the best thing i think you can learn in business which might yeah. sound strange but all my clients tell me that <laughs> which one which one was it it's called this profiling disc and um it's commercialized so that's not well understood i studied it for eight months i did a psychology course i met the lecturer who is a lecturer at sydney uni in psychology so super smart guy um, we hit it off well. I started hanging around with him, went to his ha- home multiple times. He put me through a full psychometric assessment. So I really understood a lot about it. And all I did for eight months, I, I wound down my tree service business. I did the training in December. I thought I'm going to sell this business, get out of it. I did, lived off the money for a while. And then after eight months, I hadn't made one site. All I've done is study, study, develop systems, write ads, but never actually done, like haven't actually gone out and sold <laughs> so sort of like just study research and anyway, and then my wife said to me one day, "Homelands due next week. There's no money in the bank. Are we going to start making some money from this business coaching thing or what?" And I had no business, no industry, no income. And I thought, "Oh crap! I have to actually go out and do something." And that was my go all in. Like a switch in my brain said, "I have to go out and sell." I banked eleven thousand dollars the next week.
0: Oh, oh. Imagine if you hadn't been doing that for eight months. <laughs> That's right. You would have like, bloody house off.
1: That's right. I was like, holy cow, what happened? Um, but it was just like a switch. And I thought, this is well, this is easy. I can sell ice to Eskimos. And I was the only one in the franchise. So out of the 10 that started, there was six that fell over within two months. There was four that were doing nothing. And so when I'd kind of gone out and gone $11,000 in the week, they were all like fell off the chairs. How many clients was that? Was that a uh, couple of clients? It wasn't a lot of clients; it might have been half a dozen, but yeah. I was selling them kind of everything they needed—a yellow pages ad, or they needed a marketing piece, or they needed, you know, a business growth plan, or whatever it is that they needed. And it mm-hmm. was like I just identified what they needed. Some were under under like a twelve-month program, uh, so that was just what I banked. So I made a lot more than eleven grand, but that's just yeah. that's just cash in the bank in the first in that first week. And very nice. Very so nice. yeah, that that was my kind of really big, serious all in moment of,
0: okay, if it is to be, it's up to me. Let's go and do it. I did it. I love it. I love it. Career, career transitions are a really <laughs> uh, common thing for going all in. And you know, yeah. I, I think people, every single person on this planet can relate to what you just described. Maybe not because they were upside down in a tree with a busted shoulder, but at some point we, we're all faced with a choice of having to make a decision about keep doing what you're doing. They just overbroke in your J-O-B or commit to the business that you're actually in. And it sounds like you were teetering on committing and not really being all in, but then you kind of painted yourself into a corner there financially and you've got to go and do it and and make it happen for yourself. Tim, why do you think people struggle to get across the threshold and actually commit and go all in? Like, I know so many people in just in my network of, of friends where, They're in a job and they always look at me and go, Rob, you know, you live the best life. You're going here, you're going there, your social media is this and that. And it's like, it's a lot of hard work. I work 60 or 70 hours a week. I work I work really hard, but I love what I do. That's why I work so much. And you could do that too. Why why do you think after all this time in coaching and mentoring, people don't get across the threshold?
1: It's definitely personality. Like some people are blessed with the Fortitude to say, that sounds challenging, I'll do it. Other people say, Oh, hang on, that's a little bit scary. I'm not I'm not one of these wing it and make it up as you go along and back myself. I think that's a minority of people, not the majority. So I think most people need a bit of a plan or a bit of an education and from that from that plan or education I get more confidence from that. And that's like me, it's like I studied psychology for eight months. The other guys thought, What are you doing studying psychology? What the hell is that got to do with <laughs> going out, and making money, selling sales and marketing everything? And education? It was everything for me because when, the, when I've been preparing and then when the, flick, when the flick of the switch kicked in, I was just like, bang, out, I went and just sold. So so I think some people need a bit of preparation to get their confidence. Other people, they, they just thrive on a challenge and that's where they get their confidence. So I think it just depends on which kind of personality you are. This profile kind of explains it. These just go all in. These <laughs> profiles for It's like, give me a challenge, I can handle it, whereas everyone else is like, oh, hang on, um, bad experiences previous, let's think about this. <laughs>
0: Well, so, I think yeah. those personality profiling things are so unbelievably important. And if you've never done one of those before, just peek at your phone while you're listening to this podcast or have a look at the show notes. If you're looking at the video here on the website in YouTube or in Facebook, and I'll make sure that there's a link there for you. So if you've never done something like that before, make sure you go and do that because it will help you to, to better kind of know yourself, know who you're dealing with and why you behave the way that you do for heaven's sake.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the best things you can learn is to learn about yourself. I like the principle. I like the Clint Eastwood, an old actor in movies, and he said the man's got to know his limitations. So you, you got to know your strengths. You've got to know your weaknesses because your business is held back more by your weaknesses than any other thing. And if you don't know what they are, well, that's an even bigger problem. <laughs> so this profile can give you some insight into what you're strong at, but what you're not so strong at, which is great. So yeah, I do encourage people to check that out.
0: Early on, when, when you had that win in that first week, was there some gaps that you identified within the sort of the first six months there? I mean, you, you get going with a new business, you, you had a couple of wins, maybe a little bit of beginner's luck or the preparation, a bit of combination of all of that. Then you get a bit of momentum behind you. What was it that was, was a gap for you that you sort of needed to bring somebody else in to plug?
1: Not so much a gap like in that I was just studying mainly like I was studying marketing and sort of thinking about what I can do with marketing. So it was sort of like a lot of preparation and then I was just afflicted, activated it once a, because you can think that prepare, 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 prepare forever. And it's just a waste of time. I remember listening to an audio of an interview with the people who started Optus in Australia. And the story was, I don't know if it's true, but the story was they got 200 of the smartest brains I could get to do a business plan for two years and then when they launched within six months, half of that business plan was complete nonsense and rubbish. <laughs> so I'm thinking if you can get 200 people to plan for two years and then half of that's completely wasted, well, how much value is there on really putting that much effort into planning? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of is overrated. So you plan enough to sort of have a first step and then pre-prepared to, to change it, reevaluate. It's like how do you climb a mountain? Well, have a bit of a game plan, then start climbing and then change your route as you go. It's the only way you can do it. So
0: you've got to have a bit of the practical, bit of the theory, I think. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Well, how long were you in the business of business coaching back in the day when it started to really pay off for you? Like when you were like, man, I can really make something of this and it's getting some momentum. Were you are 12 months in, 18 months in? Were you six months in? About three months, three years. Oh, oh, so it was
1: quite a while. Yeah, because remember the industry didn't exist. It's like, how do you work with a client? What do you yeah. do? Do you see them? Do you talk to them on the phone? what are we going to give them? We've got to give them something. Can't just sort of completely be discussion all the time. So it was like, you had to figure out how the industry need to evolve and exist and and what do you give people and all that. So there's just so much work you had to do. There's so much kind of figuring out. And then you go, oh gee, I need this. Oh gee, I need that. Oh, I need paperwork. And oh, I need I need some sort of a structure. Like it's just so much figuring out. So it just took so long to get it going. And then I figured out that seminars and workshops is an extremely good way to kick off that industry. And that's when it sort of started to go nuts for me in about 2000 by running seminars and sort of design marketing, run ads, flies, letters, all that sort of stuff, started populating rooms, free seminars, two-day workshops, and then follow on with one-on-one. That's when it
0: started to get, gather a lot of momentum. So, yeah. It's really interesting like when you just talk about it kind of offhandedly like, yeah, that's kind of how it was back then. But you, you've really lived through the evolution of an industry back in old school times before the internet existed and then into the dot-com boom, into the websites and then into social media to what it is today, that, that must be every now and then you must look at where you are and, and how far it's come and just go on. Man, it used to be like pen and paper and like phone calls and letterbox drugs. What, what do you think about that when you think of it like in its entirety? Like that's pretty interesting.
1: I, I kind of miss the old days because I love print advertising. I got exceptionally good at print. Right. And it used to be fun to work with a client, redesign the Yellow Pages ad. They'd look at it and go, oh, that looks terrible. And no one's going to read that. And then you run the ad. And I used to give clients like measuring tools, spreadsheets, and then they'd email me the spreadsheet and get on the phone. I remember a guy in Townsville once and he's filling in his spreadsheet, tracking how you find us and recording it and tracking it all. And then um, I remember looking at his spreadsheet. He sent it through. I got on the phone and the first thing I said was, so, oh, Yellow Pages ad's come out. Uh, Yellow pages books got delivered this week, did they? He goes, Yeah. I said, Oh, I can see you're hundred percent up on your phone call from the redesign ad. So that that was fun because wow. you just you do things that was like bang, instantly you'd know if it worked or not. Whereas these days you do a lot of social stuff. It's like, I don't know, spend a couple of months posting organically and all that, and you're just like, is this doing anything at all? So we become quite intangible with results in some ways. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things that are measured these days are not measured from a profitability it's tracked from an inquiry mm. uh, it's like google ads it's like cost per lead well yeah but what are you converting so yeah. to me the the way the things are done now it's kind of missing a little bit of the old structure of the old days which actually worked a lot better it was more definitive and clearer for business owners these days it's 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 more of a gamble i think in some way just spending money you don't know if it's working or not
0: well i, I say i've said it a couple of times on a few recent podcasts that There's only two things in marketing that you can really control anymore in digital marketing. That is, and just for you, Tim, I'm not sure if you know, but I also have a digital marketing agency and the two things that any business owner can control from a digital perspective these days are their email list. That's the first thing and their podcast, whether they appear on a podcast or they have their own podcast because those two things are never censored and they're never subjected to an algorithm. Any Facebook ad, Google ad, YouTube ad, Instagram, Snapchat, or anything that you could think of that you're advertising in or marketing to, you subjected it to an algo. And, you know, it's a bit of an oxymoron, like once upon a time, it was about how many how many people could I get to like my Facebook fan page. Yeah. And these days, that that's a vanity metric that doesn't really mean anything. And if, yeah. if you wanted to get people to like your fan page, you could go and buy fake likes, but that's kind of gone away and that doesn't really happen that much anymore. But if you do want real ones and you want people to see your stuff, you buy them off Facebook in a campaign and they're relatively inexpensive. But then if you put a post in there, just because you've got 10,000 likes, there's only going to be like 5% of people that see it. Because it's an oxymoron, you've got to buy the likes and then you've got to buy to amplify your message by boosting your post to your audience like that. It's like you can't really control it because the platforms that people exist on run by companies whose sole purpose is to make money off you and your advertising. Now I kind of love the idea of old school stuff that you're talking about there with yellow pages and for the people listening, for the younger people listening that don't know what the yellow pages is, that's like Google but in a book. That's what it used to be That's like, right. yeah. but it was super relevant and it was super targeted and people would pay money to go in the yellow pages the same way they'd pay money to go into Google or run ads or something like they would today. Although, albeit in a, in a slightly different way. What would you say about all of that? Tim?
1: It was the fun old days, but it's like all things. We, we've kind of moved into the digital revolution now and, and it's in its very, very early days. So, Things like Facebook, oh, Facebook, oh, let's get lots of likes and then we can promote organically. Yeah, and then it got commercialized. Now it's it's all give us your money and then we'll see what we can do. So it's all very, very new in the marketplace. And so I think think the next 20 years, the next 10 to 20 years, a lot of things are going to get shaken up because there's a lot of smoke and mirrors that still happens with marketing. I think there's a heck of a lot more now than what there ever was. SEO is one of the most intangible things that there is, for example. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ignorance because there's so much new then it takes a long while for people to get a lot of experience to go, gee, I need to learn a bit about more about this. So I think we're still in a very evolving marketplace from a marketing perspective as far as growing businesses because everything is so new, it's not established. So yeah, whereas Yellow Pages has been around for I don't know how many decades before it's stopped kind of thing, but yeah, yeah. a lot, lot of years, uh, same with newspaper print ads and all that sort of thing. So so all the digital stuff is actually really, really young, really, really
0: early days when you think about it. So yeah, it feels like it's been around forever, but the reality is, you know, so much has happened and so much change has happened in a short amount of time that I think that's what amplifies you feeling like it's been there forever. But in reality, it's it's brand new. Someone asked me the other day, where do you think it will go in the next like 20 years? If you fast forward 20 years into the future. Where would all of these platforms be? Where would digital be? And you can look at some of that in programmatic advertising that's happening back through systems like the Google Ads platform that used to be called DoubleClick. And the algorithms are so sophisticated, they, I click on a link on a website and I visit another website, there's an ad slot there. And that the programmatic advertising is so smart that it goes away to the exchange and knows that my IP address has visited these 15 different websites in the last 20 days and it spits back an ad that it thinks that's relevant for me and it shows me an ad for Nike shoes because I'd looked at something to do with a sports jacket or some clothes or something like that and the programmatic advertising that's going in on in in the industry and the AI that's happening in the industry now is just really quite extraordinary and it and it boggles the normal person's mind. It's sort of easy for me as a digital marketer and a developer and a coder to understand all of that stuff. I get it. And then you, you can untangle the spider web of, of the flow chart that you've got in front of you. But if you try and explain that to a normal business owner, they're just like, oh my God, what's happening? The robots are going to take over the world and the terminators are coming type thing. It's, it's really pretty exciting and a little bit kind of unnerving as well what's coming around the corner because it's so smart, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because the AI, the whole AI, like SEO now is AI governed. 200 ranking factors of which the AI is deciding who ranks where and it's, man, it's it's very complicated. So, yeah.
0: Very, very complicated. Talk to me about work-life balance because you're a specialist in that and you alluded right at the start there from going from 80 hours a week to 30 hours a week and doubling your revenue and your income. And you see a lot of business owners on the treadmill, on the grind working away, doing their thing for 60, 70 hours a week, hating life and not making any money. How do you get them into that work-life balance?
1: Uh, You've got to do a lot of things right. For a start, I don't think many business owners actually have much of an idea as what's actually achievable. So if they don't know something exists, something is a possibility, they're not going to go looking for it. Because when I start talking to business owners, if I say, how many staff you got? And they go, oh, i got eight or ten staff. I say, well, are you still working? And they look at me look kind of weird. It's like, what do you mean am I still working? Well, once you get kind of eight or 10, then you should be redundant. Otherwise, why are you still working? Because working is optional when you get that many staff. Isn't that kind of why you're in the business? They have a life. And they kind of think, they still think it's weird. Because who knows someone in the marketplace that can actually take two months off, worry-free, travel internationally, and then choose to work, come back to work by choice or not. Like, yeah, how rare. many people know someone like that? Yeah. I tried bringing a client of mine the other day, and he, he didn't get back to me. And then the next day, I got a test message saying, I'm in the Maldives. I'll get back to you when
0: I get home. I've got no comments, Uh, man. I'm busy scuba diving. I'll I'll (laughs) ring you shortly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if he's in the country or not, but sometimes. But when I met him, he was doing his 55 hours a week. So people in business don't recognize that you can get to this point called freedom where you have freedom of choice. Working becomes optional. So if they don't know that exists, they don't go looking for it. But that's the kind of fun stuff that I like to talk about. Because I think you go into business to have a life. You don't just go into business to become a workaholic, work 60 hours a week, and then don't stop thinking about your business when you're at home at night. Yeah, madness. That's how a lot of people are. So I think a good end goal for a business is to get your business to a level where you can afford to pay a manager and then take all the pressure off yourself and then choose whether you want to work or not. And that's what you have a manager for. There's a lot of education you've got to do to be able to set your business up to that. But people don't look for it because they don't know that's a possibility and therefore it's not in their realm of focus because it doesn't exist in their mind. So that's what I like to do.
0: Like that that say, must be like one of the favorite and most fulfilling things to do to, to help people get there and get that manager and, and divest that person from the everyday. Well, yeah, because a
1: lot of business owners, if they, if they double their turnover, they're going to work more hours, whereas my philosophy is you, you should be working less as your business grows, yeah. uh, not more. And if you're not, then, well, let's change some things so that you can. So I like, I like working with businesses that are offering at a bit of a ceiling and then they can't get to that next level. I had a client that was at 1.5 mil stagnant and been going a few years, but that's about where they'd maxed out. Then, in the year that I worked with them, they hit 10 million in the first year, and then they hit 12, then they hit 14, then they hit 18, and now they've hit 40. Wow. And they're in four countries around the world. And From 18 to 40.
0: Yeah. In that period, they they literally doubled. Yeah. Um, wow.
1: And then, so they've got a plan now to go to 100 mil and probably a 200 mil. And they've cracked four countries, and the thing's just going nuts. So but they were stagnant when I met them. So it's, this is kind of like five years later at 40 mil. So it's kind of nice to see businesses do what I think is potentially there. I mean, it might mean that they're not working much in their business. It might mean that they're just loving life and businesses ticking over right without them, or they got a nice big fat pay rise for themselves. Or To me, my purpose is to make business owners happier not to grow the business. And it's a very different focus that I have mm-hmm. because to me you don't tend to increase happiness just from increasing revenue unless you leverage to stop having to work all the time and the business grows without you. That's when you get happy because you go, gee, I don't have to go to work. Um, <laughs> I, might, I might go on a holiday internationally and turn the phone off. To me, yeah. that that's a bit happier than a lot of people love their business. Yeah, give it 10 years <laughs> yeah. and then, then decide whether you want to take a trip around the world for two months or you want to go to work for the next two months and which one sounds better. So, it's kind of where you're at you know i tend to deal with a lot with established businesses and take them to that next level mm-hmm. whatever that looks like kind of thing so yeah
0: and do you work with them like the leadership teams or do you work with the the teams of people that are within the organization or is it both at the same time
1: uh, that's a good question see a lot of people feel that i should work with the employees but i'm like no it's not my responsibility to get your employees to do it they should that's your responsibility business owner Mm -hmm. Uh, because business owners tend to, I call it abdicate. They kind of put their hands on their eyes and get, you go and do that for me. You take care of all my marketing because it's all too hard and confusing. (laughs) That's,
0: That's such a good description in one word. Yeah.
1: So it's an abdication. I've found that success is proportional to the responsibility taken. So when people don't take enough responsibility for learning certain things about how to run a business, you end up very stressed, not that profitable, or you have lovely learning experiences like your manager just stole $200,000 out of your business because you didn't know. Gosh. So when you're not aware of certain things in business and numbers is a really big ingredient Mm. because I call it measured trust. So instead of blind trust, you have measured trust, which means I trust you as long as I see the numbers for Mm. my business and you have to know what they are, then you can leverage effectively. But without them, you you don't leverage very well. And that, that way you're taking a lot of risk. So it is very much a take on the responsibility of learning certain things. So I I work with the business owner only if, if they need sales training different, I'll do sales training for their staff with them. But Mm. I don't, I say don't send your staff to me because you're holding them accountable, not me. They don't work for me. Mm. So it's your job to hold them accountable for using what I'll train them on. But with business owners, I'm like, you need to learn this stuff. I'm not going to teach you everything about finances, but you need to know these things Because it is your business, it is not your bookkeepers, it's not your accountant, it's not your financial controller. (laughs) You pay for marketing, but have you paid to learn marketing? You're going to pay me to teach you marketing, and then you can use good providers because you're going to know the criteria with which they're performing. Whereas people use AdWords, they've got no idea. What's a quality score? I don't know. Is Mm -hmm. my AdWords person doing that? Well, you're supposed to know what quality score is. You need to know what SEO is. You need to know what rank is. You need to know these things. But then you work with them to create a better outcome as against just abdicating and letting them do it all. And you're assuming most expensive thing in a business. You know what it is? An assumption. Assumption. Yeah. So you're assuming that they're doing a good job and you don't know because you haven't got a clue. So I'm sort of big on you need to learn a certain, certain subjects you need to learn in business. And if you learn them, then you take responsibility for the outcomes and then you're not abdicating, you're delegating with criteria saying, I need you to do this. This is what I expect is the outcome. And so yeah. it's like, People go, how do I hire an internal accountant? Well, good luck with that one because if you know nothing about accounting, you've got no idea how to hire them. And it's yep, like that. Exactly. People hire a marketing company. go, I don't know anything about marketing. That's why I'm hiring <laughs> the marketing company. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's what I'm paying them for. Yeah, but you're not paying them to take responsibility. You're paying them to provide a service. Yeah. You have to know what responsibility taken looks like as far as key performance indicators, et cetera, measuring and things like that. So, so that's
0: why I work with business owners, not the employees. Mm, beautifully said beautifully said and it's that dichotomy of wanting handing it off because you don't know how to do it but then not taking responsibility for it so and you've articulated that really nicely one thing that i've seen recently in in my digital marketing agency and i see it a lot with with smaller businesses and it sounds like you work with bigger businesses but i'm, I'm sort of talking about tradie size businesses maybe have two three four vans on the road type thing doing pretty well and they could be doing better. They've got some money to invest, so they've a really nice website. They've got their social squared away. It's nice, great reviews, business is going well, so they're not a startup, but they seem to be stuck in second gear. It's like they can only bring in so many so many new inquiries and, and they've and they just got enough work for four vans on the road. And if they got rid of one van, they'd be like running around like headless chooks trying to solve the problem with three vans but they can't get to five, six, seven, ten 10 bands. They just can't push through it. And I call that being stuck in second gear. And when I look at their, their digital marketing, because inevitably they come to me and go, hey, we've been using this company. Can you help us fix this? And you look at it and go, yes, so I can see exactly what's wrong. Here's how you'd fix it. This is the plan. This is what we would do. But they never come to me and say, when you after you fix that and we get to this level, what can we expect beyond that? And I find that they're really very short-sighted. They're looking for a solution and to solve the problem in the here and now. And it's like the entrepreneur only has the plan to make the money. And when he's made the money or he or she has made the money, they've got it. Now they really don't have a plan to do anything with it. And there's so many, so much wonderful investment advice out there and so many things that you could do with it, but they end up squandering it and just buying all the things that they wanted to do buying all the stuff that was on their vision board, the fast car, the nice house, the expensive holiday, they come back and it's like, well, I really don't have anything. And then they go back onto the mouse wheel of entrepreneurialism, make some more money, and then go and blow it all on on stuff because they don't get to the next level. Why do you think people get stuck in second gear, get out of it, and then kind of find themselves back in second gear? It's like a three steps forward, two steps back scenario every time. It's a little bit
1: like I mentioned before, where it's the vision, so it 's like people don't go looking for what they don't even know is possible. I pick up a lot of businesses that are often small, like like you say they' two or three bands on the road, five employees, seven employees, and then take them to a whole new level. But the very first thing I find that I need to do with just about every business owner is say, What is your vision?' And let me tell you what's possible. (laughs) Because if you say, what do you want to achieve? I don't know. But if I say, well, would you like to have a business that's turning over instead of turning over like 600 or 700,000, how about 1.5 million and you can work a full day week and you're not on the tools whatsoever. How's that sound? Oh, that sounds good. Mm. All right. So let me tell you how to get there and I'll help you to get there. So you're stuck by your, um, your imagination in a way. As Albert Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge and it's true. So People don't imagine what's possible or they don't know how to get there and they don't recognize that education is why you can't get there. Your knowledge gets you to a certain level. You want to get to another level, you need more knowledge. It's Mm. like I max out my knowledge on certain subjects and I go, I can't get to the next level. I'm going to have to go and do more research. Ah, that's how you do it. Ah, excellent, great. And so they don't recognize it as this subject called business that they don't know enough about. And when they get to about that, three, four employees. I call that the management phase. Mm-hmm. Until then, you're just trying to get work. So it's all sales and marketing. Got to get marketing. Got to get marketing. Got to get sales. Hire, hire three people. Then they get to that really awkward spot where they got three guys, three people working on the oh, hands-on, tools-on. Now they need an admin person. Oh, crap. Now I need an office to put him in. Oh, crap. And all of a sudden, a lot of overheads kick in. So it's
0: a really- So reactive, tough, isn't it? They're just reacting.
1: Really? it's a really tough phase to go from, I got three guys running around doing everything, but I'm kind of doing a little bit, but I'm answering phones, I'm sending invoices, I'm doing, it's a real headless chook kind of role of a business at that stage. It's hard to get to that next stage, but you need a big injection of knowledge and that's where a business mentor is good. Um, Someone like me says, Oh, it's obvious. Just do this, this, and this. That's, you know, that's how you do it. (laughs) It doesn't sound obvious. No, it's because, yeah, you know, it's it's what's hindsight's twenty twenty. So yeah. when you've done it a lot, it's easy, it's obvious. But when you haven't done it at all, it's like it's all too hard and scary. So mm. yeah, so it's it's getting someone in that can help you to take you to that whole new level. That's the smart thing because when you get up to that size, you're usually quite profitable. I find that businesses become very unprofitable when they get to that about seven employees, and all of a sudden profits drop into a hole, and they're like, oh crap, I'm not making anything. Yeah, that's the temporary size limitation where it's not an efficient size of the business you got to go to that next level get a 10 or 12 or 15 20 staff kind of thing you got to get to that next level otherwise you just get to a hole. yeah i'm not making any money why am i doing it and then you may downsize because you can't see the way forward you can't get over that hole that you're in and so there's always a way like every business has a competitor that's done it bigger and better so there's always a way it's just yeah. that you don't know it so therefore you need someone that knows how to get you there your competitors are probably not going to do it for you well, they're probably not going to tell you how, so you just got to get someone else that can take you to that next level. But then you're into efficiency and making your business have a structure. I call it the word structure. You've got to have a structure that makes your business very efficient, so it actually starts getting profitable. Until you get to three or four employees, doesn't matter. You get lots of turnover, you're probably making money, but. Once you sort of start kicking in the overheads like you need an office because you've got to put an admin person there who's got to answer the phone and they're not making any money and mm. all of a sudden all the overheads kick in insurance that you run a vehicle out of the car, next thing you're making that money. So it becomes a real profitability challenge which is increased profitability or profit margin without increasing sales which is kind of like, what are you talking about? Because most people say, oh, I increase sales so I can increase profit. No, it doesn't work. You've got to start thinking profitability without increasing leads, without increasing sales. And then it's like, how do you do that? Ah, now you're asking the right questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the question you should be asking. How do I increase profit without increasing leads at all? You can do it
0: quite if, easily. If someone's listening to this, it all it all sounds really logical because you've got the, the benefit of a, a little bit of little bit of grey hair, not very much, but a little bit. And you've got all that hindsight that's there. So because you you've just seen it all before. You just work with so many businesses. If somebody's listening to this and they've got a business and they're like, well, that sounds awesome. What should they look for in a business coach? Because there must be a lot about personalities and experience and things like that. But how does one go out there and, well, you're obviously a really good one and, and we're going to put them in touch with you. That's, that's you know ideal. But if they were not in Sydney or not able to connect with you, what would they look for in a business coach?
1: The good question is what do you specialize in? I specialize specifically in increasing net profit margins Because that's what 90% of businesses that I look at are not that profitable. And that's a sad reality. businesses, their revenue is not the problem. Their net profit margin percentage on net profit on revenue is the problem. It's often under 10%, especially when they get beyond 700,000. So 90% of businesses aren't. So I specialize in increasing net profit margins and getting businesses to the point where they can grow fast. Because if you've got two or three or $500,000 in the bank, you can grow a lot faster than if you've got 20 or 50 grand. Yeah, of course. So by increasing that profit margin, you, you put a lot of cash in the bank and you solve one big problem of business. most businesses have, cash, cash mm. in the bank. It's not cash flow, it's cash reserves There's a big difference. You, you double your turnover, you double the cash in and out. Mm. But if you're not profitable, everything that comes in goes back out. So yes. profitability is keeping the cash in your bank when you get paid. It is against it all going back out again. So... You need to talk to a coach and ask them things like, what do you specialize in? Some coaches are great with like social media. Some are great with kind of lead generation things. Some are great with systems. I've kind of come from old school. so like, tell me a problem. Good. Let's work on that. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever problem they had, I'd solve them with them. And I started to see that they'd say they want more cash in the bank. I'd say, what do you want help with? Oh, I want more customers. Oh, okay. Why? Oh, so I can have more cash in the bank. Okay. So... When you say more customers, that's is that getting new customers in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's your conversion rate? Pretty good. So do you measure it? No. <laughs> okay, so what you're saying, you want more leads. Yeah, I want more leads. Ah, oh, so you get more leads, so you get more sales, so you get more cash in the bank. Okay. Do you realize that if a customer pays you $1,000 and you've got zero net profit, you make a $1,000 and then you pay $1,000 out, so you're making nothing. Your cash yeah. increases, cash flow, cash flows in, cash flows out. You're not making any more money. So would you prefer it if I just help you to make more cash or do you seriously want more leads? Which one do you want? Oh, okay. I think I want more cash. Okay, great. So do you mind if we don't talk about lead generation? It's mm. not the highest priority. Yeah. So it depends. Some people want the leads. Some people don't. Some people can't find good stars. Some people, you need to ask a coach, what do you kind of specialize in? I'm kind of an old dinosaur. So therefore I kind of go into everything. But most coaches these days, they're not. Some are not, it's like asking, "What are they going to give you?" I give business owners complete management reporting system. I give them a full recruitment system. I give them a whole truckload of stuff. A lot of coaches give you nothing. It's like, "Oh no, we're all going to talk
0: about it," which mm, is great. Going to some... get so far, talking about it, you need to take action on it and do something and have something practical to do with it, right?
1: Yeah, and you talk about what results have you achieved? Show us your results. Can I talk to some of the people? Um, you look at the results. And are the results freeing up their time? Are the results solving their staff problem? Are their results? whatever, you know, you look at kind of results, what do the results say about what they achieve? That's pretty good too. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it's um, like I've met some good coaches, but they usually specialize in something. Some specialize or some cover a lot of things. Some just specialize in one or two things. So I think that's a good question to start with. What do you specialize in? How much experience? I'm biased. I, I feel experience, there's no kind of substitute for it. Yeah. I remember talking to a lot of the guys in action when they used to come in and they go, I've been here two years. When do you start to feel like you know something? I go, oh, I'm about year five. Yeah. <laughs> it's a about while. five years before you feel like you know a little bit. And then, oh, wow. you know, from there you, you, know, you kind of increase because it's such a complex thing to understand how do you actually grow a business. Yeah, And there's coaches that are great for startups. There's coaches that are great for the small end. There's coaches that are great for tradies. So, you know, it just depends on the business really.
0: Mm, very nice. Very nice. Tim, can you, can you tell us a little bit about your products and your services? Cause you've got some programs that are there. Maybe you can share that with the audience, like what you specialize in. I mean, you, you kind of went into it a little bit there, but maybe some of those courses there you can talk about and, and share with the audience.
1: Sure. My first one that I tend to kick off with is, is I uh, call it the marketing fast track, which is educating business owners about digital marketing, specifically websites, because you can actually increase leads for free quite easily in just about every business I've ever seen online without spending a dollar, without spending $1. So people don't know this because they don't know enough about things like search console. Mm-hmm. When I surveyed, I surveyed a room of 40 business owners the other day and I said, how many people here know and use, use search, on, search console? Not one. Here. Okay. So I kind of make people aware of what's available, what they need to do, and then show them how to get started on it. And that's what that workshop is. It's like a small group. I critique their website. I give them feedback on the customization necessary for the industry because some industries, a blog is fantastic. Other industries waste of time. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind of giving in that old school marketing, which is no, not every business needs the same thing. Let's talk about what your business needs. Give them some feedback on that. Give them some critiquing on their SEO, whether they paid for it and got nothing, whether they, they need it, whether they don't need it, and just generally break a lot of the confusion. So that's like a half-day workshop, very affordable, comes with a sort of a personal one-on-one review of what they've implemented from that half day, plus the 16 videos they get in the members areas, plus the 30 backlinks that they set up for free um, as a result of that. Um, and then sort of review what they're doing and have a look at it and give them some more feedback. That's kind of like a standalone for any business. And that's also the first step of an eight-month program that I have called the Academy of Business Mastery, which is covers just about everything you can imagine that you need to know about how to run a business. Um, Based on my work with about a thousand businesses that told me their problems and I created a systematic solution and it's workbooked, it's small groups. Even though it's a small group environment, I find that business owners still need one-on-one even though they need to learn the same subjects like how do you build a good team? How do you recruit good staff? How do you measure your business? All those sort of things, very common to all businesses, but you still need one-on-one. So it's kind of got the one-on-one built into it. But it's more affordable because it's in a group of, say, three or four businesses. And I deliver that online with Zoom to businesses pretty much anywhere in the world. That's kind of my primary service. And that's good for businesses that have got three staff or more, two maybe, but typically two or three staff and up up to 20, 30, 50. And I think the most I had was a 20 million turnover with 120 staff. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of where it maxes out a bit. And then I do one-on-one. I've got a guy in America I'm working with now. He's got about a – I think he's got a 70 million turnover that I'm talking to him about. So I can do one-on-one as well. That's kind of fun to do a bit of one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So kind What's of fave? Is,
0: is it the group stuff or is it the one-on-one?
1: The, the group stuff, I did 10 years of one-on-one with hundreds of businesses and then I followed them up two years later and go, how's it all going? And I find that they actually slip back into a hole lot of time. It's like, what the heck happened? You were really successful, really profitable, really busy and growing when I left you because I taught you what I know and you kind of got the benefit of that. And then they slip back and I went, what the heck is happening here? And then I was running a lot of two-day workshops and I found two-day workshops helps people to really get a good mindset. And Mm. so when you get a mindset a certain way, you think a certain way, which is congruent with action, which leads to success. So it's really about mindset. And so I started putting people into a group. The two-day workshops I found shifted mindset, but it was too much data too quick. So my my eighth-month program is half day a fortnight in a small group. And I find that that's the best thing to do to change mindset. But because you're reviewing, Mm. I'm saying, okay, next session Let's review all those four things that I told you exactly what to do and gave the instructions on how to do and emailed your tools and templates
0: and how to do. Did you implement it? Let's mm-hmm. talk about that. Mm-hmm. What keep- about the accountability around a group like that? That's so important, right? Yeah.
1: And I've, I've found that by putting three or four businesses in, you create accountability because you discuss everything you're implementing. When you put 10 or 20 or 50 people in, it's too many. Too many. So, therefore, there's no one-on-one problem-solving discussions, therefore, no accountability, therefore, bugger all results. Makes you lots of money. But mm-hmm. doesn't get results.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm always, I mean,
1: uh, I'm always about results first. Results first, and then you know everything else second kind of thing. It's all about the result. I'm 100% focused on the result that I want to achieve for people.
0: Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I've been part of a couple of um, accountability groups recently on just some courses that I've done online, and you know you pay a lot of money for these courses, and then you find yourself in an accountability group that makes sure you follow through. There's like a team leader, and then somebody helping, and then. There's staff from the place there to do that. And likewise, I've been in some mastermind groups before as well. And if you've never done anything like that, if you're listening to this podcast, I highly, highly recommend you get into some of those accountability groups and maybe even some of Tim's courses there. You never know where you'll end up with your business if you do something like that. Tell me about what's coming up for you in the next 12 to 18 months, Tim. Is there some growth on the horizon? Is there any new products or services? What's exciting for you guys?
1: I'm just partnering with someone that complements a lot of what I do. I complement a lot of what a lot of he does. He's got a very big global focus and we complement each other extremely well. In fact, he's the guy, I actually referred my client to him at $40 million, so you need to go and see this guy. He'll take you to hundred, mm-hmm. So he can kind of work with businesses of all sides. So we actually complement each other really well. We overlap a little bit, but with his global focus and my kind of national focus, I think we'll complement each other really well. So there's going to be some pretty special stuff coming out of that in the next year or two.
0: Are you launching some new products?
1: Not so much new products. It's just more, it's called brand-led marketing. So it's not branding, it's brand-led. So Mm -hmm. it's really, really interesting stuff that we're doing. So it's just really how you go about presenting yourself in the marketplace. And yeah, because the percentage of businesses that can benefit from business mentoring is like huge, but a tiny percentage actually indulge them. So it's really about market penetration with better communication which is the brand-led kind of thing that we're looking at so yeah working on that now there's a team of accountants in brisbane that um are looking to launch some services into hundreds of accounting firms of which i'm a part of that because accountants like what i do because they show tangible results with tangible content with results and tools and they, they kind of like that so that's that could be pretty huge as well so yeah a couple lines the sure. fire.
0: Sounds exciting. What's it feel like to be working on new things like that? The, The old dog's still working on new things. He's got some new tricks in him still.
1: Yeah, look, I love I love creating content. I like packaging up content that creates a workshop. I met with a guy yesterday and said, You've got such great IP, why don't you build a workshop out of it? Well, like, how do I do that? No, it's easy. Just do this.
0: Yeah. It's <laughs> always easy when you know how. <laughs> That's right. Yeah.
1: I built a five day wealth creation workshop um, back in two thousand three and then marketed it and made money, you know, it turned over a million in the first year. Oh wow. From blank page, off we went kind of thing. So I I just love packaging up IP intellectual property and then putting it in the marketplace with the marketing is the wrapper on the product. You mm-hmm. create a product, put a gold wrapper on it, then, oh, I want that. So yeah, I love doing that stuff. It's good fun.
0: Excellent. It's, it's invigorating. It's the, uh, the elixir of life to, to create. And, and I really believe part of the reason that you're here as a human being is to be creating something, whatever that might be. And Absolutely. that's what's so fun about it and invigorating. Tell me, Tim, do you have a little, uh, a little sweet deal for our audience listening in? Is there some sort of little offer or opt-in that they can grab?
1: Uh, Definitely an opt-in. There's a book called Leverage that's on my company website, Profit Transformations. Just type that into Google, you'll find it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Profit Transformations, if you go to the contact page under that or have subscribed, there's a book called Leverage. And if you are wanting to grow your business fast while you work less, that book is right up your alley. You get that book, it's a free subscription, grab that, then you'll get some uh, irregular newsletters from me following that as well but that book will kind of open your eyes about how what potential there is in the grail business that links to a pre-recorded webinar that you can go and watch for an hour as well which is sort of a lot more in-depth and that will kind of expand your mind about possibilities for your business so and that's probably a good place to start
0: Excellent. And if you're listening on your phone, once again, just peek at the show notes here and the link is going to be right there. So you don't have to dig for anything. The link's right there in the show notes to this podcast. And if you're watching the video on YouTube or in Facebook or on the website, you can just scroll down a little bit. You'll see the link right there as well. Last question for the interview, Tim, what is it that you do every day that is absolutely not negotiable that keeps you sharp and focused each day? What, what is that? What's the one thing
1: I like to research. I constantly research because to me, you don't ever rest on your laurels, as they say. It's too easy to just fall in the trap of consistent busyness. So I find that researching is, to me, it's essential. And it might be reading a book, it might be online, it might be studying a topic, but I think it's staying fresh in business is really, really important. So for me, that's research. I just love researching how to, how to figure out how to solve any problem. It's like, how do I do this? Hmm, how do I do that? So I think that's good. I
0: think that's a good way to stay fresh. Very nice. Well said. Well said. Well said. And if people want to connect you with you, what's the best way to do that? Is that via the website, via LinkedIn? What's the best way to do that?
1: LinkedIn is probably the best, yeah. A lot of my clients, when I interview my clients, which I do with every client I work with, I say, where do you hang out? You go on Facebook, Matt, don't even turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't find me much on Facebook because my type of clients are often not on there. They're too busy running a business or enjoying yeah. their family time. So yeah, So yeah, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is probably the best place. Yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. And again, I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes to this show. Tim, thank you so much for coming on the Goal In podcast, mate. That was just value bomb after value bomb. I I loved hearing that. It was I I kind of asked all those questions mostly for myself, which is kind of cool. And you answered them all, which was awesome. So thanks for coming on the show, mate. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to speaking with you soon, mate. Bye for now.
1: Thank you very much.
0: There you have it, folks. If you like what you just heard, make sure you visit Tim's website at profittransformations.com.au and just have a quick peek at your phone for the link so you don't have to search for that. It's right there in the show notes. And if you're watching this video, just scroll down a little bit and you'll see the link to his website there as well. So that's profit transformations.com.au. So profit and transform with the number four, formations.com.au. And again, just speak at your phone. The link's right there so you don't have to dig for it. As always, if you've got a question for the show, you can reach out via our socials or you can connect with us at any time via email. Just visit goallin.com.au to find out more. Make sure you subscribe to the show on the app that you're listening to right now and you'll never miss an episode that way. And if you've got a minute or two, we'd really appreciate a review because that helps us out a whole boatload as well. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're working on, get busy and go all in. I'll see you next time.